I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I'm Todd Jones, recovering from 30 years as a sports writer. Thanks for joining me as I sit down with some of the best sports writers of our time who knew the greatest athletes and coaches and experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past half century. We'll share stories behind the stories, some we've only told each other. Pull up a seat on Press Box Access. I've known Sam Farmer since 1988, and he's made me laugh in every one of our many conversations since. Sam's a funny guy, a natural storyteller. He's also one of the best reporters covering the NFL, which he's done for more than 25 years. In fact, Sam was honored by the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2019. That's no joke. Sam will tell us about some of the biggest names in football history and toss in two scoops of humor. This will be fun. Well, Sam, thanks for joining us. What do you say we buy everybody around? That sounds great, Todd. Let's start with you. Open that wallet. Oh, I, I forgot my wallet. I think it's at home. I think the I go Los the Angeles Times can afford it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, go for it, my great man. Great to see you. Great to see you, buddy. It's uh, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's been a while. I just want to say something. Hall of Famer, mm. Hall of Famer, Sam Farmer. Yeah, yeah. The Hall of Fame dropped a couple notches. Yeah. <laughs> Wait well, a second. What Wait was the second. entry fee there, Sam? Yeah, exactly. I'm still paying it. That's why I can't buy the round. Yeah. Well, you know, I got to say, in all seriousness, joking aside, uh, one of the thrills of my career was in 2019, hearing that you were honored um, oh. with the Dick McCann Memorial Award. And knowing that you were going to be enshrined in um, in Canton, you know, in the Pro oh, Football Hall of thank Fame. Thank you, buddy. And That's knowing you all these years, it just made me feel so wonderful that a good friend was rightfully being honored for what a what a career. And you're and you're still doing it, still writing great great stuff for the Los Angeles Times. So oh, I'll just thank honor. you. Yeah. Oh, that's so kind of you, and it, and it feels like yesterday that we were interns together at the LA Times. And I knew you when. <laughs> I know. And I knew you win. I mean, it was really, uh, you were so prolific. That was the thing that, that always blew me away. You'd have a hundred inches written. And I, I just, I mean, I remember uh, it, it was so tough for me to, to generate copy. I, I just remember, uh, um, you know, I think about my first story that I did for the LA times and I was a, so a this desk is- assistant. This is the this, when we were together in the summer of 1988. No, this is earlier. This yeah. is like 87. Okay. And I was a, a junior in college and uh, it was the San Fernando Valley edition of the Times. This is back when we were so robust and we were able to have all these editions and and they assigned me um, because I had written a story on uh, the Washington football team, the Redskins, who were my favorite team, it was a Redskins Cowboys story that it was like a sample story. 
And uh, I'm sure it was just horrific, but I think they needed somebody <laughs> to go test. out. It was a yeah. test. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, well, I think my last line was probably the final score. You know, I, didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have any concept of how to put a story together, but they saw something. They saw potential. They, saw they sent you to what an Occidental college they saw, game or something. No, they saw no. enthusiasm. They sent me to North Hollywood high school for oh, a girl, yes. a girls basketball game. Cause they said, you know, it's a three o'clock deadline. So, I mean, it's a three o'clock game, so he's he's not going to miss deadline. He's got about five inches to write, which is, for the uninitiated, that's a very, very short story. You could probably read in one breath uh, a five-inch story. And uh, so they, so I showed up there, and I was wearing a three-piece suit. I think it was the last time I ever wore a three-piece suit. And, you know... <laughs> it's, it was at a, so at a high school basketball game at a high school basketball game I'm sitting up in the stands and I was a college kid so of course I fell asleep I <laughs> fell asleep in the thing woke to the final buzzer was still sort of in a fog and I went down and grabbed a, a few quotes that were just unintelligibly scribbled on my notepad got my uh went to the scorers table and i don't know that i how i knew how to do this but i i got the individual scores well the individual scores didn't add up to the final score but i only found that out a couple couple hours later oh, which doesn't is matter yeah because parents parents don't really <laughs> parents care, don't care you know? and you know yeah, what are they, facts you know come on <laughs> exactly if you don't get your but i remember i I was driving back to the Times headquarters in Chatsworth, the, the Valley headquarters, and I left the oil cap off my car, so I was stalling at every stop sign. And I got out now in a suit, and I got out, and I remember I opened the thing, uh, the hood up, and I was looking at the thing. I know nothing about cars, but suddenly I'm covered in oil, and I go into the Times office, and I'm just staring at a blank screen, computer screen, for what felt like two hours. That just said, buy Sam Farmer. And <laughs> Good start. So, yeah. And I wrote the thing. I, I just bled and wrote this, this story, which, you know, now any sports writer would be able to write this thing in, in five minutes. And anyway, the final story that showed up in the paper the next day Look nothing like what I wrote. So they completely rewrote it and they told me, don't call us, we'll call you. And for <laughs> me, that, that that sort of set the hook for me in terms of my interest in, in becoming a sports writer and the, the challenge, because I really wanted to be a doctor coming out of college. Well, I mean, I spent college pretty much majoring in beer. <laughs> and then I got a degree and... Um, Somehow the Los Angeles Times called me to come out and work in the summer of 1988. So I drove my 1980 Honda with Flintstone brakes across the country. <laughs> and I pulled into Los Angeles like Jed Clampett. And yeah. I walked into the L.A. Times and I sat down and I looked around and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? And you happened to be sitting next to me. Mm -hmm. And we spent the entire summer sitting next to each other. Like two goobers who didn't know what to do. <laughs> Saucer-eyed. Oh, I mean, I I'm reading Jim Murray, Mike Downey, Scott Osler, and there's Todd Jones from Kentucky writing a story for the Los Angeles yeah. Times. I'm thinking this is insane. 
Um, I distinctly have one memory of sitting on your front stoop in West Hollywood where you had allowed me to crash on your couch because I was basically homeless. And I remember sitting out one night listening to Warren Zevon, and every time I hear Desperados under the eaves, I think of sitting there and, again, thinking, how in the hell did I end up here? Yeah. What am I doing here? I felt like a total fraud. Well, if you felt like a fraud, I mean, uh, I, I can't imagine because I looked at you and I thought, this guy has experience. He's <laughs> yeah. covered major. He's covered Kentucky basketball. He's covered major stuff. He's a really good writer. And I, you know, I learned a lot from you just watching you. You had so much more experience. I wasn't on a college, my college paper. I, I, I didn't do any of that. I had no experience other than being a sports fan um, and and being a fan of the sports page. Um, uh, I don't know. So I, I just kind of hit it. I hit it well. I think we both had a lot of fear. <laughs> yeah, total fear. Yeah, total fear. Um, now you're 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 in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, recognized mm. for 25, yeah. 26 years of covering the NFL, known as one of the best football storytellers in the country. And rightfully mm. so. And you started with, uh, you know, oil all over your suit at a high school game. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. so, you know, it started very small, but here you are now nationally respected. But at the same time, your NFL writing career almost ended before it even really got started. I mean, you were covering the Oakland Raiders and you were nearly killed by a kicker. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, really? A kicker, Sam? I mean, not like some big lineman or linebacker going to rip your head off. You had a kicker almost killed you? I know. Couldn't I have, couldn't I have done better than that? That's, what that's happened? Great. You're amazing. How'd you find that story? So uh, I remember that Sebastian Janikowski, uh, uh, the Raiders had picked him in the first round. He was this troubled kicker from uh, Florida State, I believe. Was he Florida State? Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah. And he had this uh, sort of a checkered, uh, you know, he had a rap sheet coming in, but he was a perfect Al Davis kind of guy. And, um, but he had given up drinking um, uh, at the start of the season. And this yeah, is John Gruden. Yeah, so yeah. This was John Gruden's rookie season. Well, I had gotten word from uh, a guy who had a connection to the beat that he had seen Janikowski out at you know, closing time at some bar. And I don't know if, if that was the case, but I had to ask him about it after, after practice. And Janikowski was 250 pounds and very intimidating. I mean, he's like a, he was like a linebacker. He was really built like that and gruff and, and, and had this, you know, it kind of looked at us with a jaundiced eye, uh, having had all these issues in college and, uh, rounded into a, uh, I think a, a more agreeable guy as his career went on. He was established, but he's pretty surly as a, as a rookie. And he came out with um, the punter and his name's Shane Leckler. Shane Leckler. He and Shane came out after practice. So the kicker and the and, punter were gonna gonna work you over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and. A lot of times we would wait out in the parking lot for the Raiders, which the Raiders were the Wild Wild West. I mean, uh, just take you back uh, a year earlier in Joe Bugles one season as coach. And, I mean, you had player revolts. You had Chester McLaughlin running this this 350-pound defensive tackle, running through drills in, full, in a full-length 
coat, <laughs> refusing to take it, <laughs> refusing to take it off uh, when coaches told him to do that. He he, he didn't want to do that. Nice um, discipline there by the Raiders. Yeah, it was it, uh, the Raiders were just completely uh, off the reservation in terms of like the, the craziness of that team. Well, they had a um, kicker and a punter wanting to kill you. So what happened? Yeah. So so I asked Sebastian about that. I said, I got to ask you, I hear, I hear you've been out at closing time at these bars and Sarah. And I mean, he turned to Shane Luckler. He said, don't ever talk to this guy. Um, this guy just asked me about going out and partying. Don't ever talk to him. And he got in his uh, SUV and roared out of the parking lot and uh, nearly hit me. I had to jump between two cars. To <laughs> not tried to run you over? Yeah, I mean, I was like, he was like fishtailing out of the parking lot. And uh, yeah, that, and then, then whenever he'd see me running off the field, he would run right at me and then just take a quick sidestep right before he got to me. And you should have kicked him. Yeah. <laughs> the counter kick, I think, would have been. Well, there must be something about running over sports riders. I once covered a senior golf tournament in Cincinnati, and this guy, Rocky Thompson, who had about 15 minutes of fame, he was like a steel worker, and, you know, he won some of these tournaments on the senior tour, which was basically like, you know, corporate welfare with a scoreboard. And so <laughs> – I had to ask him something after a bad round, and he was sitting on his uh, golf cart, and I was standing right in, fr right in front of it, and I said, hey, Rocky, can I talk to you for a second? And he said, no, you may not, and just stomped on the pedal. And the oh same thing. God. I had to, like, literally jump out of the way of the golf cart. Yeah, yeah. I'll <laughs> so take a golf cart over, over an over. SUV. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we both probably deserved it. Yeah, uh, probably so. No, it's uh, so the, the, the Raiders were a five year sentence, you know, <laughs> covering that yeah. team. Yeah, what, judge, was, uh, what judge put you out there to cover the Raiders for five years? I mean, yeah, what did you exactly. do? Because exactly. when you think about it, the Raiders were run by Al Davis, one of the most iconic characters in the history of the NFL. Um, but Davis yeah. was really all about control and paranoia and conflict. Totally. Well, you t you tell me. You dealt with him on a daily basis. Tell us about Al Davis and what that was like. Al was the sweetest to my wife, Paige. I mean, he he could be charming and sweet and everything, and and he played us against each other as writers. Uh, not my wife and I, but the yeah. writers. He would, uh, you know, one day he would. Uh, or even from over the course of the day, you know, Jeff Chidea, um, who was at the San Francisco Examiner and went on to Sports Illustrated uh, and now is at NFL Network. He and I were roommates. And Al would be nice to one of us in the morning and the other one in the afternoon. And I remember one time with Al, I was in uh, Coral Gables, Florida, for an NFL owners meeting. And, uh, and I saw Al in the lobby. Well, and, by the way, was he always dressed, always in black or silver? He had the well, sometimes he'd be, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, he always had the sweatsuit on, and uh, he'd have the glasses on the silver chain, um, and now that I wear these readers, I kind of understand that. Um, I just have 4,000 pairs of these things that I order <laughs> on Amazon, um, but Al, I see Al in the lobby, and I said, uh, Al, can I talk to you? And he said, come up to my suite. 
And I thought, I'm going up to Al Davis's suite. I mean, this is unbelievable. Uh, this is great. I'm the only beat guy from the West Coast there. TJ Simers and I are the only beat guys or only NFL guys from California at these particular meetings at the Hyatt in Coral Gables. And um, so I go up and Al's got this gigantic suite at the Hyatt. And he's got weights set up. He's got a bench set up. Like barbells? Set up. Like barbells yeah. set up? Yeah. yeah, barbells, which he would bring on the road for show. Uh, you know, just to let the other no- owners know he was staying in shape. Now he's he's 70. Yeah, I was going to say he's got to be 70, right? Yeah, he's 72 years old or something at the time. And uh, and so I said, Al, now he's got like 345 stacked on each side. I mean, this is like, there's no way that he's benching this. <laughs> Uh, and I said, Al, I see you got your weights. He, and he looked at me without a hint of irony. He said, yeah, it's hard to stay cut at my age. <laughs> <laughs> stay, not get cut, stay cut. <laughs> but and that late, much later, I remember because my beat was really NFL in L.A. When's the NFL coming back to L.A.? So it was more important to me that I know the owners and the commissioner and other NFL executives than it was knowing pl- players or even coaches. Right, uh, right. Because I was really dealing with these a big move. So I was talking to Joe Brown from the NFL, and it was at an owner's meeting. And I don't remember where we, where we were. Maybe we were in New Orleans or something. And Al is now having a hard time walking really, but he hangs on to the backpack of his Sherpa. He he was still cut though. He was cut. He was cut, but he hangs, he's got kind of a Sherpa, a kid with a backpack and he walks along and hangs on to the backpack of the kid. And I'm talking to Joe Brown and I'm taking notes and Joe Brown was the right hand man to Paul Tagliabue. And, uh, Al says, Sam, he sees me from a distance. He said, they keep lying and you keep writing it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Al a, Davis, notorious for ba- battling the NFL always. Yeah, yeah. always it was a shuffle by shooting. Shuffle by <laughs> shooting. He got us both with one shot. <laughs> <laughs> was he just uh, like you? You hear these legendary stories about his paranoia. Do you do you remember anything about like you know spies and micro, hidden microphones or anything that you dealt with with Al Davis? And, there were times. There were times. And we talk about something in the press room among the reporters and the PR guy who would come in and, and say something very on point. Like talk to uh, the plant. Yeah. It was like the house plant in the corner. Second. Another time I remember Jeff Hostetler um, uh, was having shoulder problems or something. And there was a very, uh, we would have a conference call. We were having a conference call and Al Locasal, who was Al's right-hand man, came on and he said, we're getting Haas. It's a conference call. No questions. No questions. Nobody no questions. can ask a question. He's going to make a statement. No questions. And somebody said, um, you know, Al, is this, is this going to be transcribed? I said, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, so they, uh, so in a very grainy call, Jeff Hostetler talked about his, his shoulder and made a statement and got off the phone. And 
our our suspicion at the time was it was a recording of Jeff Hostetler. <laughs> and they they acted like it was live and he was they talking, doctored it. They doctored it. But, <laughs> but like uh, weekend at Bernie's. He's not yeah. even alive. <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, so there was always something yeah. sort of crazy going on with the Raiders. Never and, a dull moment. Never a dull moment. You covered the Raiders for five seasons for the uh, San Jose Mercury News. And then in 2000, you went back to Los Angeles, back to work for the L.A. Times once again. Uh, And at the time, Los Angeles did not have a team. So you're an NFL writer. You go to a city that does not have a team. Um, Why why didn't you just, like, go to New York City and cover farming? (laughs) I mean, you're going to to a city without a team and you're going to cover that league? What what was that all about? Well, actually, I'll tell you. I actually came in as a UCLA beat writer, and I covered one season at UCLA basketball. Oh, okay. That explains it. But the Raiders had gotten good, and so they would call me in to do a John Gruden profile, a Rich Gannon profile, and the Raiders got to the NFC or the AFC championship game that season and lost to Baltimore, which went on and won the Super Bowl. Um, but I was able to sort of show my NFL chops that way. Yeah, because you had built some, you had built some sources and some people. Yeah, you knew. exactly. Yeah, right. right. And so that summer, um, they said, "Hey, we'd like you to take over the NFL beat." And I, I and I had, you know, this was going back to L.A., so it was. I would have walked. In fact, I even told Bill Dwyer when he when he offered me the job, I said, "I'll start walking right now to get down there." <laughs> I mean, I would have say, yeah. From San Jose, which is a five-hour drive. You're in Los Angeles. Now you're covering a sport, a league exactly. without a team. Oh, How did that change things for you? It, it was a, a universe, uh, you know, galaxies apart from from what I was doing. It was uh, thinking in big terms, what team might move to L.A.? What stadium might work? Who might the potential owner be? And this, is a, this was a, a process that involved with billionaires and political heavy hitters, uh, uh, people in the entertainment industry, Michael Ovitz and Tom Cruise and Garth Brooks, and, you know, whether it was going to be at Dodger Stadium, the Coliseum, Hollywood Park, uh, downtown L.A., San Diego, you know, I mean, uh, Orange County. It was uh, covering this, but I also covered the league at large, so... I had the dream job. I'd go to the to the game of the week, uh, get to pick it myself, hit the Monday night game on the way home. Um, got to do uh, because the NFL was so vitally interested in how it was perceived in the nation's second largest market. Because remember, LA was more powerful and more valuable to the NFL without a team than with a team. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. In the period that L.A. didn't have a team, uh, I think it was 28 teams 
either got new stadiums or had at least four hundred million dollars in renovations. Well, so, damn, I should I should have gone for a team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and you had everybody in LA saying, you know, you can build a stadium in my backyard. Oh, almost literally, some of these people. So it was a, a incredibly. Um, uh, I would say sort of an influential job because the league really cares. So I went to Europe with Paul Tagliabue, traveled around Europe. I'd go to John Madden's and watch games with him. So you started really what you were covering football, but you were really covering much more than football. Yeah, you were covering I mean, the business aspect of it. And business aspect and got to travel with officials and really got to sort of draw my own job description. Because people didn't want to just read about NFL in L.A. They wanted to read about this young guy, Tom Brady, out of nowhere in New England. So I'm sort of identifying the really interesting stories and the stories that got me excited and questions that I really wanted answered. Um, whether that was like the officiating crew or – and got to do weird stuff. I mean, Matt Millen and I were – we both together piloted the, the Goodyear blimp. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, yeah, You're piloting yeah. the Goodyear blimp? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Where were you so, when the Hindenburg went down? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's great. Yeah. No, it was. So, yeah, we were at the Super Bowl. Um, we were in Tampa. So, it was the Super Bowl, the Cardinals Steelers Super Bowl. And we were there early. And uh, I wasn't with Matt, but when we got to the Goodyear, th- Goodyear called and said, hey, do you want to ride the blimp? And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to ride yeah, why not? <laughs> and I got there, and it was Matt Millen and me, so uh, with a pilot. And uh, so we were, we took off, and we were ascending, and and, the, and it's like a, first of all, it feels like it's wooden benches in there. It feels very antiquated. And uh, a it's bit, a blimp. I mean, let's face yeah, it, it's a yeah, blimp. Yeah. And you feel somewhat at the mercy of the elements, much more than an airplane. You know, you, sort of the winds of the of the winds, literally. And so Matt and I were in this thing, and, and we ascended, and it's a very sharp ascent. The uh, ascents and descents are very severe. Uh, so we get up there, and the guy says, "Okay, who wants to fly this?" And he and he and it, and, and flying it, if I can recall. There was a big wheel to the side that was a sort of a, uh, maybe had something to do with the pitch of the thing. And then there are foot pedals. It's not like a steering <laughs> wait, wheel. Like, yeah. Like he's pedaling so, it like a bike? No, it's sort of like you push one down to turn one way and push the other down <laughs> to push the other way. And then you've got the wheel that's sort of like your your angle, uh, your, your sort of position. Um, your attitude, you know, whatever. Um, and so I said, yeah, I'll try it. So I, I scrambled around and got into the, uh, into the pilot's seat and Matt was sitting next to me. Sweating. And yeah, immediately I'm disoriented. I don't know which way is up. Oh, this this is good. I whipped a U-turn in that thing so fast, I think I, because I stood on what I thought was the accelerator. <laughs> <laughs> Did Matt, a U-turn, U-turn Matt, with a blimp. Yeah, Matt, who had, who had been this ferocious linebacker uh, for the 49ers and Raiders and, and 
you know, fearless and everything. Uh, he was scared to death. Uh, <laughs> his fingers were clutched. It was like that scene in Tommy Boy where, you know, the fingers are like embedded in the dashboard. Um, I was out of that seat probably in 30 seconds because I was so freaked out by uh, my inability to steer the blimp or to navigate the blimp. So, Well, Goodyear thanks uh, you for bringing it back in one piece. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm yeah. glad that, you know, that it landed safely and yeah. your career did not end the way it almost ended with Sebastian <laughs> Janikowski yeah. and his car trying to run you over. Yeah. How, did the blimp, how did the blimp compare to John Madden's bus? Yeah, Madden's bus was really cool. And uh, so I did that. Um, I've done that a couple of times. But, but What was it uh, like inside Madden's bus? You know, it's actually surprising. He has a number of them. And, uh, as we all do, you know, <laughs> yeah, of course it was actually surprisingly Spartan. It wasn't like Jerry's bus. I've been on Jerry's bus, Jerry Jones's uh, bus, Jerry Jones's bus. And that is, I love, well, by the way, I love like how you're on first season. name, first name basis yeah, yeah. with a billionaire, <laughs> Jerry's bus. Yeah. Well, but tell me about Jerry's me bus compared to John's bus. Well, Jerry's bus is like a four seasons. I mean, that was like. John's bus was a nice, uh, you know, sort of decked out in, in beds and, and TVs and stuff. But Jerry's bus was, is super over the top fancy to the, to the nines. But I've also been in a town car with Jerry, with Jerry driving. And Jerry's not a great driver. And, really? and we were going doesn't, around. Yeah. Why doesn't that not surprise me? We were, uh, we were, he was, just building AT&T Stadium and we're driving around the construction site and we drove circled and circled and circled on these dirt roads and, we, and he's driving a, a Lincoln Town car and I'm in the front seat talking to him and um, he's talking about all the frit in the glass in the, in the stadium and how they paid extra for these arches because they wanted to complete the arches and, and the art gallery that's inside and, and this was going to be and it was the greatest you know, it was the eighth. It was the. I think I called it the Yal Mahal. It was. The, <laughs> it was the. You know, eighth wonder it's, of the world. And it's insane. Now, while it's he's driving, insane. Yeah. it's insane. While he's driving, he's getting so into it that he sort of got off track and crashed through like a sawhorse, and we went down into a ditch. Now we didn't fully crashed the car, but like <laughs> it, we were down into a ditch. You sound like a teenager explaining this to your dad. And, yeah. We didn't fully <laughs> crash the car. Yeah. And, and I, I was just uh, petrified and I realized that in a, in a panic situation, I just freeze up and I just didn't. And he said, he said, well, thank you. He said, thank you. I, uh, you saved us. And I said, how did I save you? How did I save us? I mean, he said, I was like a defensive back and you were like a receiver. I was just looking at your eyes. Oh, they got real big. I was looking at your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
God, Jerry. This is crazy. So you almost so, killed Jerry Jones, or he almost yeah, kills you. He almost killed me. You almost killed yeah. Mike, Mike uh, on a blimp. You almost oh, yeah, killed Matt, Matt Millen. Matt Millen. You almost Matt killed Matt Millen. Millen. So, the, yeah. So Janikowski the, almost kills you. You have a lot of <laughs> near misses near death, near death experiences. You even had access to Donald Trump before he was president, right, Sam? Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> I got a call. Dave Morgan, who you know uh, was one of the editors of the Times, and he called me on a Friday night. This was in 2005, and said, "Hey, do you want to play golf with Donald Trump tomorrow?" And Trump was the hottest thing going because he was the host of The Apprentice at the time. And uh, I said, "Yeah, of course." So uh, where? And he said, "Well, it's this course you just bought out in Palos Verdes, and it's, it's 16 holes because two holes sloughed off into the water." Um, yeah, you know, the, you uh, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, it's later to give people a point of reference. It's where they had the Catalina wine mixer and step brothers. Mm. <laughs> that, that's where they filmed that. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so I th I'm thinking it's going to be this media junket out there and, and we all are going to meet Donald Trump, whatever I get there. And it's Trump in an empty spot in his cart and, uh, PGA, um, PR guy and the, and the pro from this course, which was called ocean trails. And, and, um, they want you in the, in the cart with Trump. So I'm sitting with Trump in his cart and we pull out and he starts making introductions to people. And he said, this is the top guy at the LA times. And I'm thinking you, you're the top guy. At the I, I'm not, I'm telling <laughs> yeah, I'm telling people like, I'm not the top guy. A top guy doesn't even know my name, but what, uh, I later came to realize was he wasn't doing that for me. He was doing that for him. He mm -hmm. wouldn't be with anybody but the top guy at the LA Times. Yeah. So, what kind of golf? Whole, what kind of golfer was uh, the former president? You know, he was not a single-digit handicapper. That's for sure. I, I mean, he was not. I think he called himself a seven or something. Now, I'm not a. I'm not a great golfer, but uh, I do play a little bit and. And I'd say he was probably like closer to a 15, something like that. Mm. But, but we wound up, uh, you know, I, I beat him in a skins game. And um, how much you, you take know, him for? What ten bucks? Oh! And so we get back to the back to the clubhouse, and um, he's got the two fives, and which, you know, being a sports writer, I promptly spent. I didn't keep them, but I should have kept them. But he held on, you know, as I was taking him from him, there was a little surface tension on those bills. As he's hanging <laughs> on to <laughs> and I said, I just won 10 bucks from Donald Trump. And without missing a beat, he said, well, I got a private jet and a supermodel girlfriend, so I'm not doing so bad. <laughs> he was bugged about it. But then oh. we, went and had, we went and had lunch with his secretary uh, in the clubhouse. And uh, so he immediately starts and he's like, we need gold ceilings. I mean, this is a, a sort of a Spanish style clubhouse. Um, and it was very nice, but he really wanted to put his, his uh, stamp on this place. So he said, you know, we need gold ceilings. And he said, tell chef the soup bowls are too big. There's too, we're, we're putting too much soup in these. <laughs> And these bowls, tall no chef for bowls you. Are, she's and she's taking notes. She said, "Yes, Mr. Trump. Yes, Mr. Trump." She's taking notes. And he said, "We need flat screen TVs. We need flat screen TVs all around, and uh, Sony's." 
And she's like, yes, Mr. Trump. Well, at the time, flat screens were kind of exotic. I mean, they, they were expensive. And uh, he's at Sony's, Sony's. And she said, yes, Mr. Trump. And then he said, now, he said, what are we going to call this place? Uh, Trump International or Trump National? <laughs> Sounds like a Monty Python I, skit. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and so I said, now, all the while he'd been saying, as we were playing, he'd been saying, this place is better than Pebble, isn't it? Do you think this place is better than Pebble? I mean, look at these views. This place is better than Pebble. And I'm thinking, Pebble has 18 holes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not missing two. <laughs> it's not missing two. But I, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a dramatic setting. It's, it's pretty. It's not better than Pebble Beach. But anyway, Trump International or Trump National. He turns to me and said, what do you think? I said, well, what's international mean? And he said, it means like around the world. I go, yeah, no, I know what international <laughs> means. <laughs> what does it mean relative to a golf course? And he said, four or five miles from Los Angeles International Airport. And I said, so this place is better than Pebble, but you want people to associate it with the airport? With LAX. <laughs> and I mean, like that, he turns to the secretary and he says, Trump National. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, so I, by the way, this guy's out of here. <laughs> exactly, you're fired. I thought, I helped name that place. Nice. And you National. took $10 from him. Very nice. Yes, exactly. Very nice. So, well, yeah. that's the kind of access you got, Sam, throughout your career. And, you know, it helped you. Break some great stories. You broke the story on um, um, the NFL coming back to Los Angeles. You broke the story. I mean, that was one thing you had to get. I do want to ask you about one trip before we go. You you made a trip to Israel a few years back with 18 Pro Football Hall of Famers. And we're not talking just any old players. I mean, obviously, anybody in the Hall of Fame is great. But we're talking about Jim Brown, Joe Montana, Mike Singletary, Roger Staubach, Mean Joe Green. You're there with them in Israel. Tell us a little bit about your trip uh, with that group. It was it was unbelievable. I mean, just the uh, it just so cool uh, going over um, in this uh, you know private seven forty seven. Now we at the times uh, sent money to sort of approximate this trip and and everything to to. Uh, uh, you know, United, I think it's United Jewish Charities and different um, groups that uh, Robert Kraft had suggested because he organized the trip. Um, but it, to go over in a 60 seat 747 and, and get to sit in the cockpit there with Willie Lanier. And, Wait a minute, you're in a cockpit again? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're always this, flying things. This, this time they didn't say I could fly it. Yeah. I got to sit, I sat for a couple hours in the cockpit. You know, Roger Goodell came back with us on the way home, and and that was uh, tremendous. But so many memories of Israel. It was a week uh, where we hit all the incredible um, historic and religious places, historical places. It was incredible. But there were some really funny memories. I I remember, uh, uh, so we're leaving Tel Aviv uh, and to head up to the northern part of the country, and this and Roger uh, at the hotel. Roger Staubach in the in the Hilton in Tel Aviv, packed elevator, and uh, Roger Staubach and Joe Montana are going up in this hel- elevator, which is otherwise packed with just guests from the hotel. And uh, Joe gets off on the lower floor. We've got to leave 
And so we're hustling to get our bags. And uh, there's a, he, he was recognizable. Everybody on the trip recognized Joe Montana. I mean, everybody in Israel, when we walk around, they might not know the other players, but they knew Joe Montana and they knew Jerome Bettis. A guy is just apoplectic on the elevator. And he says, he says, do you know who that, that's one of the greatest players in NFL history. That's Joe Montana. He's telling the rest of the elevator this. Doors are closing now. He's turned and he's telling this to Roger Staubach and uh, not recognizing who Roger Staubach is. And he say, and Roger says, really? <laughs> who do you play for? And the guy said, he played for the 49ers. And he, th- this, this fan looks down. We've all got lanterns on. Now, I'm not in the elevator. I'm, this is recounted to me by Roger. But, hey, wait a second. I know you. You're that real estate guy. <laughs> <laughs> no idea who Roger Tomek is. No idea that he so, was one of the great quarterbacks of all time. Yeah. So that that night we're at dinner, and I'm we got two long tables. I'm sitting next to Roger, and uh, and Joe's at the other table. Joe Montana gets up and makes a toast, very nice toast to the thing, thanking Robert Kraft, and so excited about this trip, and and. Uh, He's got his two boys, Nate and Nick, with him, and Jennifer, his wife, is there. All the wives were there, but not the – Nate and Nick Montana were the only kids who came. Uh, but Roger leans over and kind of stage whispers to me. He says, did he play the Cincinnati Bengals in the Super Bowl? And I said, yeah, actually twice. Twice, one or twice. And he goes, Yeah. He should try the Pittsburgh Steelers on for size. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe, so, uh, Joe only beat the Bengals. Roger had to go up against the Steelers. Yeah. That's awesome. So so we're out. I'll just tell you one other thing. We're in the we're in the Dead Sea. Yeah, is this and, where you have another misidentified person in the Dead Sea? Yes. You, you out there, right? Yes. Yeah, so I go out and now NFL Films was on this trip. Uh, they documented it. And guys are out floating in the Dead Sea. And uh, you're amazing. How do you remember? It's, it's amazing you know this story. Um, so we're, I go out, and our Dead Sea's like nine times the salinity of the Pacific or seven times or something. You can't sink in the thing. And it's got the consistency of like suntan oil. Nothing lives in this water. And you cannot have a cut, an open wound, anything, and go out because it, it's just excruciating. Mm. You can't. So anyway. Sounds like a great, great swim, Sam. Yeah, just terrific. And it's hot, too. The water's hot. I go out, wade out, and then start swimming out. And I go out to the – we. I got to know the little Montana family here. And so we're beyond the buoys, and the, there are five of us. And it's Joe and Jennifer – Joe got some in his eyes, and now he's got to get some water uh, to wash out his eyes. But Joe and Jennifer, Nick, Nate and Nick, were out floating, and I see that the NFL cameramen are wading into the water and heading out towards us. And I think, I'm not getting out of the water <laughs> with 18 Hall of Fame, world-class athletes. I don't care how old they are. Jim, Jim Brown is still a stud. I'm not getting out of the water on NFL films. I'm just not doing that. <laughs> if you'd only worked so, out with Al Davis, you'd been cut. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to stay cut at my age. So you stayed uh, in the water. 
so I start swimming outside the arc of the camera and good move. I'm, I'm, I'm getting away from the camera now and I swim way out to this dock and because it's all the salt in the water, there's just like crust on the stalagmites or whatever on the bottom of the thing. So you don't want to walk on this stuff. So basically I'm floating like six inches of water and then climbing up on this dock like a creature from the Black Lagoon. So it's, it's very unsightly, awkward. Yeah, but I, this is audio. I, so, <laughs> so I'm schlepping up the dock and there is a, a woman probably in her 70s, it looks like an American tourist, sort of pointing in my direction and then pantomiming like a camera, like she's going to take a photo and then pointing at me. So I looked behind me. I didn't see anybody getting out of the water behind me. Nobody's behind me. And I said, me? And she says, yes. Can I take your picture? I said, you absolutely cannot take my picture. She said, well, we're from the Bay Area. You're Joe Montana, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. I said, you have the worst First impression of a Hall of Fame quarterback. <laughs> I, and, I, and so that story made the round. So the, for the rest of the trip, anytime we were, it was roll call, we were getting on the buses, anything. And so Joe Montana, and, and somebody would point and say, he's right there. <laughs> well, now you share a place with Joe Montana. You're, in, you're enshrined in Canton. Pro Football Hall of Fame, and really because of the great journalism you've done over the years, the stories, which all came back from the access, the relationships, the working relationships that you built, the trust that you built, flying a blimp, you're on the bus with John Madden, and then you're breaking the story about the NFL's return franchises to uh, Los Angeles. And so two years ago, you're, you're in Canton, and you're backstage with – Bill Belichick at the Hall of Fame, and I think your mother walked up to Belichick. How do you get these stories? Oh, my God. Yeah, my mom. My mom walked up. She said, I know you to Belichick. I was like, Mom, please, Mom. I I think. uh, What did Belichick say? Belichick was very nice to her. You know, I mean, everybody's in a festive mood, everybody's there to celebrate somebody. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, but my mom, you know, is from Western Pennsylvania. My mom is um, very gregarious, loves people, loves asking them questions, yeah. uh, finds out everything about, she's a natural reporter. She wants to know everything about the person. And, and um, she just asks, uh, and, and, you know, she's wonderful, but she asks an endless stream of questions. She's a natural reporter, which you know, and, and and you know all these stories, but I just yeah. love that story of her saying to Bill Belichick, uh, "I know you," and you know what, Sam Farmer, yeah. I know you. I knew you back oh. in 1988. We're both a couple snot-nosed kids. We didn't know what we were doing, and we had these dreams of trying to become sports writers, and and you fulfilled it. And now, Sam, you're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I couldn't be happier for you. Thank you, Todd. It's so great to talk to you, and and. We, uh, it's great to have these lifelong friendships. My dogs are going crazy <laughs> in the background, but uh, you're a dear friend and um, I have great memories of working with you. And this has been so much fun. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your stories. I think listeners had a lot of fun listening to them. Yeah. Thanks Good so luck. much. Take Tom. care. 
Thanks for listening to PressBox Access. You can find us here with a new episode every other Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcast or on your favorite podcast app. We'd love for you to review us. Five stars would be nice. Follow us on social media. Drop us an email at pressboxaccess at gmail.com. And be sure to spread the word. Everyone is welcomed here. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and Gerardo Orlando. Producer Sarah Wilgroup and her audio engineer, Dave Douglas. I'm your host, Todd Jones. It's closing time. Rock on. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. <laughs>